And so almost 10 years ago, I was driving to work in my burgundy Toyota Camry at the time. And then I got to the part where the road merges into the highway and I was cruising down my lane, 60 miles an hour. And all of a sudden my lane gets cut into half. This neighboring car loses control. And then I'm swerving out of the way so I want to get hit. And I smash into the left guard, the boof, right guard, boof, back and forth. I hit two cars. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I hit the left guardrail again, and, I, and I'm certain I'm about to flip over this bridge because of the impact. Adrenaline is kicking in, my my life is flashing before my eyes, and, I, and the only thought that came to my mind was, have you done everything you said you were going to do? All the things I'd been doing in secret, the books, the poems, uh, my ideas about social justice I've been writing, just experiences that I had been processing, whatever I'd been going through, they all came. I was like, you, you, Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey, your role models, you haven't done anything. You're doing everything else based on what you think you're supposed to be, not doing what you want to do. And I thought, wow, 22, this is it. <laughs> My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlocked Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to an inspiring thought leader in diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism, New York-based Tayo Roxon. He calls himself a polymath in progress. Tayo is a writer, speaker, consultant, podcaster, poet, professor, co-founder, and brand strategist at UYD Management, a strategic consulting firm that empowers organizations to incorporate sustainable diversity and inclusion practices. As the son of a diplomat, Tayo grew up understanding the nuances of multicultural diversity while living on four continents. He leveraged his experiences to establish his, himself as an authority in communicating effectively across cultures and personal branding. He graced various stages to share his knowledge, including TEDx, the prestigious Chautauqua Institution in New York and the United Nations. Tayo is the host of As Told by Nomads, a podcast ranked in the top five tier of the top 25 business podcasts for entrepreneurs on entrepreneur.com. I was delighted to be featured back in March. So if you want to hear our roles reversed as interviewer and interviewee, then go dig out that episode. Tayo is the author of a book, Use Your Difference to Make a Difference, and has been a visiting professor at the prestigious Imperial College Business School. He also does incredible bite-sized thought leadership on his Instagram channel. Go check it out after the show. Tayo, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Uh, it's truly an honor, and I am happy to be on the other side of this. This is so much fun. I'm looking forward to learning a lot about you over the next uh, little while. So 
polymath in progress. I really love it. Um, unpack that for us. What what's polymath in progress mean? So for a lot of my life, I I've always had varied interests, and when I was growing up, it was always choose this or choose that. You know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, and and I. I've had a love for social sciences and arts, the combined nature of studying human behavior, but also expressing oneself. And I didn't quite find any lane for myself. And so, you know, we'll get to the unlock moments that I had in my life, but it wasn't until I had a mindset shift that I wasn't limited. I was actually limitless that I started really having more bravery to pursue a lot of these things. And so things I've been doing in secret writing and all those things became more public. And so uh, I, I can't remember why, why I came across the term polymath, but it, it, you know, it was a synonym of multi-hyphenate, renaissance person. And so I really just liked the term polymath. And I thought, huh, if I define myself as a polymath in progress, it means I'm continuously learning as opposed to having a fixed you know, uh, end to my potential. I love it. So, so take us back to, to when you were growing up. What were you like when you were growing up? What's the environment that you grew up in? I, I was always a ball of energy. My, my parents and brothers will, will will tell you that you know it was like this guy's he doesn't need an energizer, uh, <laughs> or he doesn't need an energy drink. He's always so you know wrapped up in in drama, and I, I've always had a flair for dramatics. But my name is uh, Tayo, which is short for Akintayo, which means a warrior or the brave one has brother's joy. And I, in many ways, I've always felt that I was always living up to my name because in the early phases of my life, the first decade. I spent my time living in and out of three dictatorships, well, three military regimes, and two of them were dictatorships. And, you know, there was a brief period in, in Sweden because my dad was a diplomat. And, you know, when you think about anyone that's lived in a dictatorship, you, you just find yourself normalizing certain behaviors, right? You, you hear faint gunshot wounds. You see people in exile on a news station. You hear muffled discussions amongst your parents. And then your parents will tell you what not to say. Because I, I, you know, I've always had a, I don't know, I've always had something against oppression and suppression, and so I, I always lean towards people that were fighting for social justice, and so I just sort of knew all those things at once. You know, I, I knew what not to say. I was always an energetic ball of, you know, uh, joy. I tried to be, and I always was intimately aware of the proximity to danger <laughs> that we were at, and how that depended on what we said, who we knew and what we, you know, what we did. And so that was the first decade of my life before we transitioned to civilian rule. And, and, and a really formative time for you. I mean, you were, you were, I mean, arguably yeah. almost too young to really understand what's going on. But, it, but, it, but as you say, it's your, your normalized experiences, the gunshot, the muffled conversations and all of that. And, you know, how, how did you process that then as you, you know, became a teenager and become became a young adult? I had a delayed processing, if I'm even being honest. It, it wasn't until I, I got to college, <laughs> university, that I fully was able to process it. But back then, you know, as, you know, as men, we're, we're often taught to just suppress our emotions. And I would just get so good at suppressing certain things because I wanted to bring joy or, or smile, right? And so... I just I just knew something was going on, but I knew how to compartmentalize a lot. And we would wake up, you would hear someone get shot in the news or someone you looked up to is now missing or something like that. And you go to school 
<laughs> and then you come back and we won't talk about it. But then the next day, something else would happen and go to school. I, I remember in our early 90s um, when someone who has my middle name, uh, Abiola, won an election and all of a sudden the election was annulled. And we were like, huh, okay. <laughs> and so it was, it was more of those things where things were just happening so rapidly. We get banned by United States or United Nations. Oh, and it would just sort of just take it and take it and take it. And obviously those things built up for a long time until they couldn't stay in my body anymore for, for a while. But when I was that young, I just took in the information, put them somewhere else, and then went to the next day. So, yeah. And, and how did that impact your sense of having sort of st stable foundations growing up in that kind of environment? It, it, may, it played a big role. I'm the oldest. So I'm the oldest of three boys in, in Nigeria. If you're the oldest, you, you have a huge sense of responsibility. So I, I've always had, uh, you know, the responsibility of being a role model or at least setting some table. And I certainly failed a lot initially. Uh, but that was just thrust upon me from such a young age that to me, I'm, this is where nature and nurture plays. I, I think my natural inclination is to want to lead. So I was, I was grateful that my nature and nurture align in that sense. But I was, that, the role it played was make sure everyone else is okay. <laughs> All right? You, you, got, you got your brothers here and just make sure that you can either distract them or at least set a good example of resilience. Now, upon reflecting, I could see the toxic elements of resilience in that sense. Uh, but I can also see how going through all that helped me see, you know, uh, the world through a unique lens and then build the positive type of resilience. And for the audience, I think the negative type of resilience and positive type of resilience are very subtle, right? The negative resilience will be when you are suppressing so much at the expense of yourself and you are saying, no, I'm just pushing through the tough times and there's no honesty there. And then the positive type of resilience would be, you know, you're going through hard times, you're acknowledging that they're hard times, but you still know that you can push through because inevitably you're going to get to where you want to get to, right? So one involves mm -hmm. a level of honesty and dealing and sitting with emotions and the other just uh, involves evading them completely. I love that. And it's really important to acknowledge the difference between those two. Yeah. Um, how did that start then to impact your choices when you thought about going to college and starting to travel and, yeah. you know, the kind of career path you were thinking about taking? So, I mean, it impacted everything. I, I thought safely. <laughs> I, you got to be safe. You got to do this. I, I ironically, if you, I mean, the people in the audience probably can't see. I, so I have a, a lot of basketball memorabilia behind me. I initially, you know, outside of the, the football and tennis dreams, basketball was my longest dream for the longest time. But because of the environment I grew in, my, my parents, my parents were like, you're not going to do that. That's not what you're going to do. And so I just used to just have that as a secret dream. But one of the reasons is that it, there wasn't any stability there that, you know, I, I understand my parents reasoning with that. And so I didn't go to the camps. I didn't, you know, play all those things. But anytime I found the basketball court, I would always want to play. And I had all these secret dreams. I used to have articles of my favorite athletes and see their routines and what they used to eat. Uh, and so, you know, it became too late for me when I, when I went to college. And so I started looking at the safe things. You know, my, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. Dad wanted me to be a lawyer. And so I was like, you know, I'll try this law thing. But eventually I fell in love with, you know, the idea of business. But the way it played a role was I, I was just thinking what is going to make you the most money. 
<laughs> and what is going to provide some sense of stability for your family. And, and, and where were you in the world at, at, that, at that time? At that time, I had lived in Burkina Faso, Vietnam, Sweden, Nigeria. So I was now in the United States, Virginia. Right. Yeah. Virginia. Yeah. So, so, so bring us into this unlock moment, which I think is a really, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible story. I know you, you, we talked about it before that, that started to shape your thinking about, about the future. What, what happened for you? So in Virginia, I just graduated from college and I had over 85 job rejections. And I, I would have gotten it on one end if I was, you know, a terrible student, but I wasn't. You know, I graduated with honors and I had done everything that I was supposed to do. You know, I was the, you know, head of marketing at two nonprofits. I had whatever extracurricular you needed. You know, I spoke multiple languages and I started getting all these rejections. You would be based on how we can't pronounce your name. We're not sure if we can provide a visa. You know, this is, we, we think you're too idealistic. You know, you get all these things. And then I eventually wound up convincing one of the people that had given me an intern internship uh, to, you know, give me a job. I said, hey, look, I, I just have a year to find a job. Otherwise, I have to go back to Nigeria. Do you think there's uh, any position? And at the time, Twitter was just in its infancy. And so I had a following on Twitter and they said, well, we'll try whatever the social media thing. You have a marketing degree, right? So let's figure this thing out. And I, I got there and uh, they didn't believe in social media. So they they quickly changed my role to a sales. And I didn't have any orientation. And I just found myself in a world I never even imagined for myself. And, you know, I would be stretching the hours. I, I, I felt very, very, very much uh, like a stranger inside my own body. And the worst thing was I felt like I had no choice, though. I felt like, you know, 85 job rejections. This company's at least taking a chance on me with sponsoring a visa. Stick it out. That was my thought. <laughs> Stick it out. Doesn't matter. Who are you to complain? And so almost 10 years ago, I was driving to work in my burgundy Toyota Camry at the time. And then I got to the part where the road merges into the highway and I was cruising down my lane 60 miles an hour. And all of a sudden... My lane gets cut to half. This neighboring car loses control. And then I'm swerving out of the way so I don't get hit. And I smash into the left guard, right guard, back and forth. I hit two cars. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I hit the left guardrail again. And, I, and I'm certain I'm about to flip over this bridge because of the impact. And adrenaline is kicking in. My, my life is flashing before my eyes. And, I, and the only thought that came to my mind was, have you done everything you said you were going to do? And for me, all the things I'd been doing in secret, the books, the poems, uh, my ideas about social justice I've been writing, just experiences that I had been processing, whatever I'd been going through, they all came. I was like, you, you, Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey, your role models, you haven't done anything. You're doing everything else based on what you think you're supposed to do, but you're not doing what you want to do. And I thought, wow, 22, this is it. <laughs> And adrenaline kicked in at the same time. And I just, I don't know, I just pushed through the car and I somehow got out of the car. And then I, I was standing in the middle of the highway and then debris everywhere, car zooming in and my car was completely totaled. But thankfully, nothing happened to me and no one else was hurt. And, you know, I took it as a sign and I, it, it really was the moment where things unlocked. And I've said this to you before is I used to have that fear of failure. 
and then it became fear of not achieving my potential because when when you you're faced with your mortality and you see who you could be and then you have no chance to be that person it becomes this this reminder to you that if you ever you're ever given a second chance do your best to get to that that you know pathway for yourself it's an incredible story and just reflecting as you're saying that you were talking about negative resilience and positive resilience and then here really you're saying negative fear and positive fear that's a good observation yeah i mean i that's wow yeah i like that uh i i think so yeah because to me i don't think fear is a bad thing in and of itself but what we do with that fear is what matters right and so sometimes people use fear to avoid themselves and sometimes people use fear to see themselves right and so when you avoid yourself and you see yourself, it's a completely different reality <laughs> based on whatever the, the, the world is creating. And, and, and I think for once I was able to see myself. And even though I had gone through the several rejections and all those, and I, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying, you know, based on several thin, things like that, I got a second wind for some reason that said, regardless of whatever failures you have, you've had, and you've certainly tried, you've done everything you're supposed to do, they're still somewhere there. And it might take you just having an unrelentless faith in yourself to push through because what would eventually happen for the next few years would actually bear that out. I, you know, more rejections were coming. <laughs> uh, brokenness was coming. All people weren't seeing all those things. But if I didn't get to that point where I had accepted that just because hardships come to you doesn't mean it's the end of the, of, of the journey. I don't know that I would have had the the courage to continue. And when you think back to that time, you know, 22, um, and you're still very early in your career, you've had this extraordinary experience, and you had this idea of, have I achieved my potential? What what did you think your potential was? What what did that represent for you at that time? Yeah, no, it represented I. I I didn't even quite have the full picture, but I, I felt like I wanted to leave a legacy to the extent that the late Nelson Mandela did uh, and Oprah had, right? So with Nelson Mandela, it was the idea of fighting for something and being a symbol of freedom, right? I haven't lived under dictatorships. He was the one that I saw in a black nation being the first black president. And so for me back then, even though I wasn't fully processing everything, I liked and admired what it's like to fight for something 27 years in jail and have that conviction, even though there's, there's a lot of pressure. And then with, with Oprah, it was creating a platform for voices. And so I thought if I paired the idea of fighting freedom and giving people opportunities to tell the story, that I was uniquely suited for something like that. I didn't know what that would look like, but I just felt like if I could just, you know, do those two things, that, that would be great. And I just found myself always being attracted to to those two, because even when I was coming back from school when I was younger, uh, when we were in Burkina Faso, it's a French-speaking country in West Africa, my mom always had the Oprah Winfrey show on, and that was where we built, uh, I, I, mean, I really developed a, a bond with Oprah, where I, I would have so much going on in school, I'll be very depressed, people will make fun of, you know, how I looked, or accents, everything, but you come back and, you know, Oprah's having someone cry on TV <laughs> or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that, I, I, see, I can see myself there. So I just felt like I was an extension of that couch that she had with a guest. And I never forgot that comfort. So, yeah. What's so striking hear, hearing you is that at one level, you're 22, you're fairly fresh out of college, you're in a sales team of a company, your social media. Yeah. 
And then on the other hand, you've got this extraordinary life experience, you know, through, through your life as you described. But you've also got these huge dreams. Like it's not, you know, I want to in the next three years get promoted to the next level in my in my sales role. Although, you, of course, you might also have wanted to do that. But but you you said you know you want to fight for something. You want to have a platform. You want to do something bigger. And of course, you've gone on to 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 do those things. It's incredible. But at that time, what what gave you that level of drive and ambition to achieve above and beyond what your average you know recent grad was was looking to do with their life? Well, the accident really woke me up. Right. I, remember, I said one of the feedback I got for one of my job interviews was I was too idealistic and. I wrestled with that for most of my life. A lot of times people would say that my dreams aren't possible. And I would hear some people I love because they would tell me that, look, what you want requires people to, to actually go away from systemic things. And I don't know, I, I never felt bad about that until I heard it enough. <laughs> and I thought, wait, are these people right? And, the re- and this is to go back to the Nelson Mandela thing. The, the reason the 27 years in jail really mattered to me, I was like, oh my goodness. You know, at the time I was 22, I was like, I can't, this guy spent more years in jail <laughs> than I'm alive. And I just admired someone's conviction to do that because for me, up until that point, I'd always heard no, no, no. And then every time I would reflect on Mandela's story, I'd be like, oh, it's possible. I mean, it might not be, I don't want to go to jail, but <laughs> it is possible in that in that way. And I, I I was attracted to that because I found inspiration in that. And I, I just didn't believe I was the only one. I just felt if I could put enough momentum into some idea or movement where people could fully be themselves, people could come out and start saying the same thing. And then it, it would build a momentum. And, uh, you know, it was just, you know, so you could call it naivete at the time, but I just felt like, even if it's not me, there's some level of, of of that that needs to happen. And and all the heroes I've admired, whether it's Superman, you know, Black Panther, any of them, they've always had an element of belief in something, and then people following afterwards. I was going to say na- naivety wasn't a, wasn't a word that was coming to mind, but but belief was belief. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, interesting. And so, what happened next? So I made the decision to quit my job. This is when I started doing audacious things. So I, in, when you're not a citizen in America, you know, you get married, you go to school or you, you know, you get another job. I knew I was quitting the job. I wasn't getting married. And so I needed to come down in visa status, basically, to go back to school. And so I started applying to schools in New York uh, almost exclusively. And the reason I chose New York was I, I had gone basketball at this point, you know, it was a big passion of mine. Um, one of my mentors had gotten a job in New York City and he had moved there. And I went to go see LeBron. He was at Miami Heat at the time. So I went to go see him play uh, the New York Knicks. And as soon as I landed, I, I, I don't know whatever happened to my body. I felt alive. It was in a very small college town prior to that. And it's my type of personality needs to be attracted to energy where potential is endless. And so I don't know what, what it was that said I need to be in the city. This reminds me of where I'm from, Lagos, Nigeria, where anything is possible and there's a lot of noise and dirt and everywhere. And so I just said, okay, well, maybe if I, you know, changing my environment is going to be important for me because I need to be inspired even when I, I can't tap that internally. And so I started applying and then I, you know, I told you a lot of rejections come. I got rejected from a bunch of schools. You know, I, got, it was, I had a low GMAT score. 
which is the, the score you're supposed to have. And so they kept rejecting me because of that. And I had a high GPA. And then Fordham, the school I eventually went to, conditionally accepted me. And they said, you know, I will, will, will conditionally accept you, but, you know, because of your quantitative your scores, we're a little worried to so maybe take these three classes, you know, business law, statistics. Um, and I always forget the third one. But there was another one. And then we'll see, we'll reevaluate later on. And I took those three and then I added two more <laughs> without their knowledge because I had done the math that if I did it, I wouldn't graduate in two years. I would graduate in two and a half years. And so I just took five uh, just so that I, I could, you know, catch up. And then I, I got, I think, a three nine. I did, a, I did really well and, you know, a three eight or something like that. And then when the semester was over, I went to the office and I said, look, my grades. And they said, why do you take five? I said, does it matter? I got the grades. It's like, ah, fine. And so they lifted it up. They weren't happy that I, 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 I squared the rules. And so that was the first step. So getting that academic ban off. And then, uh, you know, at that time, I'd listened to a lot of podcasts. And I, was, I, I said, I made a promise to myself. Yeah, you're going to be your best self. You're going to commit. And you're just going to try. And so somehow the idea of creating a podcast got into me after listening to a few of of those, right? 2014 for me uh, was when I launched this spot, the, the podcast that I have. And I took, a, I just bought a course on podcasting. And then I, you know, started re recording. And around that time of podcasting, I'd come across the term TCK, third culture kids. Uh, third culture kids, for those who don't know, refers to people that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of their culture. So army brats, uh, you know, diplomatic kids, Anyone that sort of had an international life and moved in and out and was in transient nature. Finding the word was, was a godsend for me because I found, oh my gosh, I can relate to this. You know, it was a BuzzFeed article, something signs that you're a TCK, you think in all these things. And then I got the idea of going to where that community was. I joined every Facebook group. I used the hashtag TCK and I said, I'm going to be a voice for this community. And because I am... I mean, I have the lived experience of it. And so I, I just started doing, you know, writing articles around it. And I said, hey, you know, have you ever wondered what it's like to get a job or be this way at home and be this way there? And then when the podcast came, I said, I'm launching the podcast. I'm going to talk to a bunch of TSKs about embracing global identity. I think our experience is going to be great to teach people how to do the same. And then I, I went from 85 job rejections to 85 yeses around, around 85 yeses. And I thought, whoa, people really care about me seeing them. And so uh, I, you know, now I put it out there. So I had to record. And so the podcast emerged out of that. And then that gave me real, real confidence in my voice uh, for there. I love that story because I, I, in my coaching, I work a lot with people about finding the environment where you're at your best, finding your home space, you know, finding your, the thing that connects what you do with what you really care about, what you value, what, what you know, what's the heart of your purpose. And I feel as though you know, there is a theme that runs through around your re refusal to accept that anything is impossible, <laughs> you know, three courses to five, another good example. Um, but there's also something about, you know, as you're saying, you know, finding this fight, finding this cause, um, and this idea that, you know, in that moment, you found both a home, you know, connecting with people with, with shared lived experiences, you, but also that thing you said, which I really liked, which was, um, if we tell the story, then it will teach so many people something and you know that i mean 2014 feels like such a long time ago now in in the whole diversity and inclusion you know sort of 
journey that people are going on. And, and personally, I feel you know really still relatively uninformed. Now, I, I feel like I'm early on my stage of a properly you know learning and understanding. But when I think back to 2014, it was like it wasn't a topic on the agenda at all in 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 many entities, many organisations. And and you'd seen early on that that was a thing. Not only that you wanted to talk to people with shared experience, but you actually wanted to 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 start to to raise the profile of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it had been around for a while, but it wasn't mainstream, right? So it, it would be it would be in and out. We would have conversations, and around that time, finding confidence in my lived experience was something I needed to dis- develop. So the TSK community, you know, helped me understand that my lived experience matter. And I, I said, it, I hadn't fully processed all those things I went through. It was after the accident I started doing that, right? So after the accident, I started really reflecting on what my life is. And I said, you, you know that you lived in five countries and four continents before you were, by the time you were 17, right? And you lived under three military gyms, two dictatorships. And I just really started starting from there. And I thought, ah, oh, this is why I think the way I think. Let me sit with this. And so when I found that BuzzFeed article about signs your, your TSK, I could see this connecting thread. And, uh, and then I kept thinking about my actual name, you know, a warrior that is British joy or the brave one that is British joy. And I kept thinking, none of these things can be coincidences here. You know, you, you, you're uniquely created and you've lived this way for something. And you, by in your natural disposition, you always want to fight for something. And so... I, I, I've last on to the idea of my experience not being a deficit and actually being an experience. You know, I always got job rejections based on my experience. And then I said, no, I'm just going to define my experience and own it. And so I said, it's time we take ownership of that. And so as it morphed into diversity, equity, and inclusion, it really, the, the underlying theme of all these things that I wanted to fight for was this idea of my mission statement, which is use your difference to make a difference. I had started observing that differences have been used throughout history to, you know, eliminate people or to suppress people, to gaslight people, or people are often threatened by something that's different from them. And in my experience, I've often been the different person, or I've come across a lot of people that are different from me. And I thought, what if we changed our relationship with differences? And so finding that uh, lane for myself became this obsessive mission of mine, where I said, you can't just dismiss something that is not something you're used to because you don't know it. You have to make an effort to know it, especially if you're an institution that is supposed to, you know, serve everyone in the community. And so it, it was like, it, yeah, it was a series of those things. And th- these ideas that I'm sharing with you, they didn't come linearly. Like I'll be writing something and I'll come up with a phrase. That's how use a difference to, to make a difference came out. Or I'll be walking down, I'll be interviewing someone and then I'll sit marinate an idea and I'll think, oh my gosh, and I'll write a note. And then wake up one night, I'm like, yep, that's it. <laughs> and so it was just a bunch of all these things putting it together. Then it eventually, you know, bore fruit. But it was a, it was a frustrating experience because I wasn't making any money. <laughs> and I was in school and everyone in school thought I was outside of my mind. They thought, aren't you supposed to be going to recruiting trips? You, you're getting an MBA. Like, Deloitte is here. Go to Deloitte. And then I was like, no, I'm just trying to just podcast someone's in australia so i have to wake up or you know <laughs> and they just thought what is a podcast what are you doing you're wasting money uh and uh, yeah so it was a bunch of all those things but i i don't know i just kept seeing all these ideas in my head and, and i want people to listen really carefully to 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 that story you've just just told because in in in, in my language i talk about 
the idea mindset, this, this, the confluence of clarity on your identity and your direction for a future with deep engagement and authenticity. That's the IDEA of the idea mindset. And you were describing, you know, when you came out from, 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 from school, from college, and you're applying for roles where they're evaluating based on, you know, I don't know, skills, experience, and a bunch of other things they probably shouldn't be measuring on, but they still were. Yeah. Um, and you were getting 85 rejections. And then you said, you know, I could go and have a conversation with Deloitte, but I choose not to actually. I chose to decide what I personally stand for, what I think is important, what's, you know, what, what, what connects with my values and purpose. And you start to, to shape a narrative about that. And people got it. They, it, it, it feels very right. And, and you turned 85 no's into 85 yeses. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating. There's a lot of people who've built, you know, huge, personal profiles in, in the last few years. And it comes down to authenticity. It comes down to, you know, it is completely true that they genuinely care about the thing that they talk about. And you see a lot of people who are trying to build a profile by kind of repeating what they've seen somebody else say on YouTube, which sounded smart, and that's sort of pushing that out there. But it isn't them. It doesn't make sense for them. It's not their own experience. It's not their own learning. And I think something that's really powerful about you, and I encourage the listener to go and listen to some of the things that you've posted on, on, on uh, Instagram, is I think it's really authentic for you. And I think you found that deep connection. When, when was the first time that you felt that um, you taught somebody outside of your community you know, that needed to hear this stuff? Do you remember that sort of yep. sense of this is, this is going outside? Yep. My, my group. It was early days of the podcast. I got in this long email from someone who was much older than me. And uh, she just bawled. Like she shared a story. She said, you know, she's in a marriage, uh, in an interracial marriage. I think, you know, she was uh, also someone from uh, an Asian descent. And then she was married to someone from an African descent. And, and then she was just sharing how hearing my story and the stories really gave her ownership of her identity for the first time because she never knew what it was that she was wrestling with. And I remember thinking, wait, me? I'm like 23 or 24. And so, but she, then she would just, she just went detail after detail after detail. And then shortly after that, I got more emails from people of varying age ranges. And I thought, who is listening to this podcast? We didn't have all the analytics then. And I was like, who is listening to this podcast? And then uh, you know, in in the Facebook groups that I joined, people would say, I really like this episode, and they would really pull out specific moments, and it would become think pieces based on that. And I thought to myself, wow, um, I didn't even see this. <laughs> and so I was, you know, uh, trying to start an idea of, of, of what I was, and I was doing it for myself, and hopefully people, a few people will listen, you know, outside of my mom. But I didn't realize that there was such a, a yearning for belonging out there. I felt it, but I didn't realize that people would latch onto it. And so once that started to happen and I started to get emails, to me, that was enough for me. I thought, well, I, I just have to do this. <laughs> you know, I have to figure this out. You know, I have to make sure that I continue to show up consistently for this. And then um, it was that, but it was an email. Yeah. It was really interesting. I come back to that, the age thing. I, I've been talking to people recently about this idea that, you know, when I, when I look to my own experience and, and you always forget that 
other people are different from you and they have different experiences, they have different needs and desires and so yeah. on. And, um, you know, I was listening recently, there's a guy in the UK called Stephen Bartlett, who does one of the biggest podcasts in the UK. And he was, in, he's still in his twenties. Um, and he, you know, millions of viewers, uh, millions of listeners and viewers on YouTube. And he was interviewing, um, the, the, the guy that founded Gymshark, the, uh, athletic wear chain, who's also in his twenties. And I'm sitting there going, I feel really old <laughs> right now. But I think one of the things that's really interesting, I've had so many people listen to this particular interview and, you know, who are, you know, decades older and, you know, often very, very experienced retailers, for example. Um, and, and they've learned so much from hearing to people who are young and sort of not knocked back by decades of, of, of sort of, you know, the, the kind of rat race right. and they've got that fresh thinking. Um, and actually I do think the wonderful thing about the podcast sort of community now is it doesn't matter whether you're 23 or you're 53 or you're 103, you know, it's about, have you said something that made somebody think? You know, and 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 I think there's there's something in that 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 I think is really powerful. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, uh, even when I'm a professor, as a professor, what I always ultimately want to give my students is that just permission to think. You know, is to critically think through everything. And for me, you asked earlier about why I always, I don't know, always wanted to push against whatever was the standard is because I, you know, all around me, I used to always see things that I felt like were wrong, but people would just accept. And in my head, maybe it's because my, my parents made me read so early on. They're like, you have to read, you have to read. Uh, I just couldn't reconcile the, the heroes I will look at in the book and the community that we, we I was watching. And I thought, well, like, is this, okay? it's not, I know, you know, it's not okay, but you just like, it's okay. So for some reason, I felt like if we had more people being willing to push against the status quo will actually have a better society as opposed to people just accepting the status quo. So, yeah. I talk to a lot of organizations at the moment that are relatively early in their journeys of properly getting their heads around diversity, equity, and, in, and inclusion. Yeah. Um, from your experience, what are some of the kinds of things that organizations at that stage are, are really getting it right? And what are areas where, where they're getting it wrong or, or, haven't yet got off the starting blocks, what can they do to get going, would you say? The, the thing that people don't talk about enough with diversity, equity, inclusion is that there's an awareness of self that has to come first. This is where a lot of people get it wrong, right? Awareness of self and awareness of environment. And the reason I said awareness of self is you need to know what you think about certain issues and you need to be honest about it. This is just you in front of the mirror or with your family members. Don't worry about judgment or anything. You need to be able to tell yourself if you are sexist or homophobic or whatever it is, and you need to then reflect on the roots of those things. Because if you don't start with yourself and you start with, I don't know, I think I'm supposed to do this, uh, it's never going to be authentic. You know, you, you will miss out on how to create a safe space for belonging. And so when you start with yourself, you're then able to recognize what your biases are, what your triggers are, and what your values are, right? So you then know your, your what I call your BTVs, your biases, triggers, and your values. And from that point, you can make a decision to work on those and to unlearn certain things and relearn certain things. That's, that has to be the start. And those organizations that are good at creating safe spaces for people to really unpack and unlearn those things are usually the ones that can then do it as a habit because they will have the conversation among themselves. Yeah, you know, when I hired that person, I was thinking of this first or, yeah, you know, I grew up in this background. That's why I think this way. I'm, I'm working on all these things. 
organizations that are often fail are the ones that just go, they just react, right? They don't reflect, just go. Yeah, there's a movement around this. We got to capitalize on this. Let's do that. But the people that, that get hurt in the process are the people that you're supposed to be serving. Right? You know, we, you're not truly seeing them. You know, they just feel like there are numbers in, 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 your, in, your, in, your, in your quota system. And then when they, when they feel like they're just numbers, what happens is when the trend dies, you know, they're, just, they're not going to feel you, you didn't do the work to feel, make them feel safe. So that they'll leave. And so I always say it starts with that education of self and then education environment, right? You have to know how you think and then why the world reacts to a certain way. But when you are educating, when you're moving from education of self to education environment, you then become more aware of things like privileges and, you know, things that cause marginalization, right? Oh, people accept me because of this or like that, da, da, da. or this makes me uh, marginalized in this area. And so if you can do those things in tandem, you'd be at a good place. And so when you're in that, you know, that first conversation with the chairman or the CEO of the, of, you know, some big shot organization, and you have that conversation with them, mm -hmm. you know, that's a hard, that, I mean, that's a hard conversation yes. to have for you. And it's a hard thing for them to hear. Yeah. Do you have some people who, who get it and accept it and you have other people that push back on the idea? Oh yeah. I, I, I get a lot of pushback consistently. And it's, it's funny. I used to get um more pushback initially and i remember when the murder of george floyd happened you know you could really see mm. the difference right you could see people who a lot of companies just felt like they had to do it otherwise they'll be in trouble but when you're asking the question i always ask the same question why do you want to do this you know and i and i always go to the multiple levels of why uh, you know not outside of george floyd they tell me why and anyone that can't really answer the question of well you know we've failed fundamentally we feel like this is going to be you know uh, a problem if we don't do that we i know that this person has complained about this that just lets me know what my starting point is and then i will often offer them i'll say the answer has to be deeper than that because i'll tell you this for a fact this is going to fade away if you're only doing it because of what's happening in the moment and i'm off i'm you know I, i'm honest now or i have the privilege of, of choice of, of clients but before that um, and I'll say this for many entrepreneurs before that, one of the things that I used to do was I just used to take any, anyone. I just thought, yes, I got a client. <laughs> and um, that was never fulfilling for me, but at least paid rent for the, <laughs> for the, for the, for the first few months. And then um, I think once I, I started really understanding the power of my voice and then understand that I could speak as well, um, I started looking at ways to become a speaker of it as well. So that I could attract outbound leads instead of just always seeking, that gave me more opportunity to be able to to say no to people. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't say it's not difficult. It's just you have to pick your battles sometimes <laughs> with, with which organizations. And when you're on the TEDx stage or on some other sort of speaking environment, and and you know you're reaching so many more people, yeah. you know, with the podcast and the book and so on, you're reaching so many more people, and you play that back to that moment. In the in you know you're sliding down the carriageway in, in the car and you're thinking, you know, have I achieved my potential? Now you reflect. Do you, do you feel like you're achieving your potential? Or do you feel like there's a load more to go you haven't even imagined yet? Oh, there's a lot more to go. I I haven't scratched the surface, but I'm in the process of achieving it. I, I you know I um the three industries I want to be able to to fundamentally disrupt are media, education, and workplaces. Right. So. With, Education as a professor right now, I'm in the process of 
learning, putting it in my hours, right? So I can eventually learn the best way to redesign curriculums. With my workspaces, I've been doing this for a long time and making sure that I'm continuously coming up with case studies that 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 can share. And then with media, there's a lot of I have a lot of goals I haven't achieved, right? Podcasting is one element, but I eventually want to be able to show run shows and write more books and tell stories that haven't been told. And I, I understand that it's all a process, right? The, as I gather more stories, meet more people, those ideas will be sparked and the connections will be made. But for me, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited by whatever the possibility is, but I have, I, I don't feel like I've even <laughs> scratched anything yet because uh, there's so much to achieve. And this is a hard question, but but what does what does legacy mean for you? You said to me once, I have to define my own legacy. Yeah, you know, I I to me legacy is all, by its definition how you're remembered, right? How people. Uh, will remember you good or bad. And when I think about my personal legacy, I just hope that people can say because of him, they were, you know, they felt more confident or comfortable being themselves. And 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 the, the reason why I wanted to be that is because I, I truly believe we live in a world of people that are strangers to themselves. Uh, and they might be successful, right, financially, right? But I don't know if they're always successful internally, right? And so, if if someone can come across, you know, any of my works and feel like I want to do something that I've always wanted to do, I feel like I have done my job then. Amazing. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? So tie rocks in everywhere. I'm using, I'm now more TikTok <laughs> uh, these days. But uh, so tie rocks on, on LinkedIn, on, on TikTok or any social media platform. My podcast is called As Told by Nomads and my book is called Use Your Difference to Make a Difference. So, yeah. It's amazing. Thank you. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Taya Roxon, it was a near-death experience in a car accident that shifted his mindset from a crippling fear of failure to a fear of not achieving his potential. It sparked a reassessment of his priorities and goals, and he's having so much impact today in the work he's doing in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from him in the future, and I've loved this conversation. Tayo, thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you, Gary. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook, and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.